welcome to episode 34 of Great Quarter Guys. I guess this is the, the Sha- Shaquille O'Neal episode, if I had to put a number to it. Uh, I'm your host, Andrew Cox. I have, with, with always, uh, Mr. Kevin Hill. We've got another special guest as well today, lead economist Anthony Smith. We're going to talk some housing, uh, some future of some kind of housing startups, uh, both Zillow and Airbnb towards the end. Uh, but let me start off by asking you, how you guys doing? Doing good, doing good. So so last week, uh, we did the sports numbers as well, and Dooner called you out on the radio. What, is, saying, is Bird saying not eight, number 33? Huh? No, no, no. Wayne Gretzky, 87. Oh, what he's is 99. He? 99. Yeah, I should have anyway, I'm not a hockey guy. He's a Northeast hockey guy. Yeah, so we're not hockey people down here. Got me on that one. Anthony, how you going, man? I'm doing great. Great to be here on this uh, podcast with you guys. Yeah, we're excited to have you. We will we'll just hop right in it. I got a one good piece for you this week. I finally brought one back. We'll talk again about the uh, Bank of America data here in a second. But the one good piece, it leads us into our housing discussion. It is that mortgage applications have risen nine weeks in a row. They're now at an all-time, at 11-year high, excuse me, uh, and they're now up 21% year-over-year in June uh, through mid-June. That is from the Mortgage Bankers Association. I'll get Anthony's thoughts on that here in a little bit when we get deep in that discussion. But I think that's lovely. Uh, it's a good thing. There's a lot of young people my age and Anthony's age out here looking for houses. Uh, so mortgage applications are, are popping up. I'm sure there's people oh, my age looking for housing too. Age but you're, you're, you're an outlier in this in this uh, in this age grouping. Uh, but jumping right into that Bank of America data, Kevin, you owe me a dollar. We had we had a bet two weeks we? ago that total card spending would go positive one day in June. It took ten days uh, on June first. Only one percent positive year over year. So nothing to to get crazy about. But I owe you a dollar. So I got I got a dollar on my way. Uh, so that's the other. Another good thing is that total card spending is up. Some uh, other good things that are happening is smashing numbers. Online electronics continues to outperform. Total online retail is absolutely killing it. So is furniture and home improvement. They're up, uh, you know, double digits year over year. Some something that was kind of uh, surprising to me, or, or something I didn't see. It, coming was that grocery spending has fallen off pretty significantly, where it was running up in the 25 to 30% year-over-year range. It's now in the mid-20s, uh, or even, I'm sorry, it's even lower than that. It's in the low single-digit range. Uh, and on top of that, restaurant spending hasn't picked up quite as bit. So I don't understand where people are spending less money on food, but uh, from this data, it's seemingly they're, they're eating less. But they're not hoarding. Yeah, that's probably, they're not, yeah, hoarding they're probably anymore. not buying it's, anymore yeah. nonsense, buying yeah, six it, months worth of toilet paper. I think paper. Some, some stats came out, and grocery stores aren't quite as dangerous as, as everyone thought. So I think people are more comfortable going into a grocery store, maybe shopping. Uh, maybe they can't afford $500 worth of food at, at a time yeah. as well. That's a good point. Thank you for that. And uh, uh, one last thing on the note uh, to note here on this uh, data is that airline spending has fallen off again. We had kind of seen a tick up there towards the end of May and through the first couple weeks of June, but that's kind of fallen off now. It's now running roughly 85% below. Uh, but and uh, but lodging spending has continued to come up a little bit. So people are out driving around. They're not quite willing and, and ready to get in an airline uh, or go into an airport, but they are getting out on the road and. and going to hotels. Uh, we'll talk about Airbnb here in a little bit. The CEO, uh, Brian Chesky, said something a little bit, uh, something that I have a, a, take a little bit of issue with about how they're doing uh, through the first week of June yesterday on CNBC, but we'll get to that. So let's start with the state of the housing market. Anthony is uh, by far the housing guru here at, at FreightWaves, been studying it a lot longer than I have or, or anyone else here. Uh, and there's some data that's getting us kind of excited, or at least me, at, at least in the last couple of weeks. You know, housing uh, permits came out this week, as, or last week, as did housing starts. What are you making of this data that we've seen over the last week, Anthony? Yeah, I mean, um, housing was, I think, we talk all the time on freight waves now, I think over the last few months and even before the pandemic, we, we would chat about it, 
housing being such a strong market. Um, when we're looking at uh, where the consumer was prior to the whole pandemic, um, housing was in high demand. And so there was actually a supply side issues that created a shortage of housing. And so um, this really kind of encouraged more and more um, uh, resiliency around um, home prices and available homes. Lately, what we've seen is housing has been one of the first to kind of come back somewhat. Um, we're starting to see uh, permits really kind of rebound here. We're starting to see starts come back after hitting historic lows. Um, new home sales really showing some strong numbers, even um, year over year, because, you know, we always talk about looking at month to month gains. It's going to look strong if you're coming off a historical low, but even on uh, historical um, lows, year over year gains for new home sales is very impressive. Um, all that to say, these are positive things, but I there's there's some hesitancy there because I know that um, this is all going to be built around you know the consumer's resiliency, how we handle this pandemic. But I think the big part about this is going to be what happens with the pandemic. Um, is there going to be a substantial second wave? Are the consumers going to be able to come back resilient? Um, I mean, uh, one of the things Andrew you just you just touched on here was the credit card data. Um, seeing uh, the furniture, retail sales, and all that other stuff kind of popping up in green. So good signs. Um, but I think really the main part that's really going to dictate where the housing market goes is kind of the, the pathway that we go on this uh, recovery from the, the pandemic here. Yeah, I'd agree. I think uh, one thing I do want to note on that front is there's a lot of there's some research coming out now. I don't know if anybody knows who Noah Smith is. He's a, a writer for Bloomberg. He's one of my favorite economists. He writes that uh, he, when looking at not only the way that the U.S. Um, consumers reacted before lockdowns were put in place, the way that we stopped going to restaurants, started stockpiling groceries, uh, you know, stopped spending money on, on small discretionary items, and 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 he also compares it to the way the, Sw the Swedish economy, basically the case study on not locking down your government or not locking down your economy and how they've reacted, how they've been impacted compared to uh, the other Nordic countries. He actually makes the point that it's probably not so much the actual lockdown that forces people to change their habits, but the fears of the coronavirus. So I'm hoping that in this, there's likely going to be some sort of lockdown two scenario where some of these uh, either cities or states have to go back into lockdown. I'm, I'm actually genuinely thinking that this one could be less restrictive and that people, uh, I think it needs to be the same restrictive for the older populations, the at, the at, at problem uh, populations. But for the young populations that have very little risk of dying from this uh, disease, I, I, I think that people need to be more weary. Uh, I, I think that we'll be, I think we'll be fine in this in the next lockdown, but I don't want to get too deep into uh, coronavirus talk. But uh, on, on starts, for example, let's, let's talk about those for a second. Again, you said they're off a five-year low in April. That, that's been uh, kind of the case for all the data that we look at. Everything's coming off a historical low or, or coming off a, a very bad low over the last 10 years. But I do wanted to speak a little bit about the housing starts regionally, because this was something that I pay attention to, and I know you do as well. Uh, you know, the Southeast is is the fastest growing housing market. More people are moving here. And I thought this would be, an, I thought we'd see an acceleration of this, especially with people working from home, people leaving big cities like New York or Chicago or LA or, or, or what have you. Uh, but you saw that the, the Southeast was actually the hardest hit region this month. Do you do you make any, you know, what do you make of the differences regionally? Or do you think it's just kind of a one-off month thing? Do you think there's new uh, trends being set or, again, just one-off? Sure. I think, um, so first off, I think there's a lot of talk around folks leaving those these large metropolitan areas for um, some of the more rural areas, you know, with more work from home, freedoms, things like that. And the, the, the tricky thing is when we're looking at that is trying to avoid confirmation bias here. So it's very easy to kind of have this, even when you're, when you're looking at 
economic data and economists struggle with this all the time. You have this story, this theory, and you look for all of the, the areas that kind of confirm what you're thinking. And so that's really, I think, the, the hard part to kind of try to avoid here. Um, but with the, 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 the significant reduction in the South, um, that doesn't really make me sway too much that maybe this uh, region won't be as resilient as uh, it was in the, in the past. I think the South will continue to kind of be um, the, the fastest growing region when it comes to housing starts. Um, Northeast, the, the thing to take away is that because it was such a small portion of the region for starts, it's going to be able to kind of rebound right. that much quicker. Um, and so it's going to have that effect of, okay, exponential growth, but again, um, a, a, such a small sec, subsect. So for example, um, Northeast for this month, I think single unit starts were up 63.3%, uh, 63.6%. Um, when looking at single units for Northeast, that's very much the minority of the uh, construction activity there. A lot of it's going to be matured land, so a lot of multi-unit um, is going to be built there. So it's going to be very critical to kind of watch which regional trends are going to kind of uh, modulate, as you mentioned. So I think South will remain a strong point uh, in, in, the, in the country. Um, same with some parts of the West Coast, even though real estate is very expensive out there. Um, but I do expect a lot of the Northeast to kind of really start to lean heavily more so on uh, some of those multi-unit uh, starts, although it's very volatile, multi-unit starts overall. Um, but but that, that's really my thoughts around uh, current construction activity. So do you, you know, I did see that the, the mix, uh, the bulk of the new starts are typically single family homes, but that mix kind of shifted a little bit this month uh, towards multifamily units. Does that concern you at all? Or do you think it's just simply that that northeastern region had the biggest swing this month and they're typically uh, multifamily starts? I think it's just, it's, it's, I would call it a more of a one-off thing right now. So it's not too concerning. Um, but I, I do think even though I am looking for confirmation bias here on uh, folks leaving the large metropolitan areas, I do think there is something to more people moving to uh, um, maybe more financially uh, easy regions to live in. Um, we're looking at parts of the south and more rural areas of the northeast. And so I think that will be, be a trend. Whether or not it's shown up in the data just yet is, is remain to be seen. But um, I am expecting um, uh, maybe even the Midwest to kind of come back online a little bit more. Um, although uh, it, a lot of it's going to depend on the supply chain constraints um, available a lot. So all the, the supply side constraints that were uh, really in effect before COVID right now are still going to be in effect now, even maybe more so as more first time home, homeowners look to kind of jump on this market and take advantage of some interest rates. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that, I mean, we, we, the, the one good piece this week was about mortgage applications. Mortgage Banking Association uh, has come out with these just ridiculous numbers. I mean, does that, is that surprising at all to you to see things? Uh, mortgage applications up 20% year over year, mid-June? Uh, I don't think it's too, too surprising. Um, when we're looking at mortgage applications, I think, when we're looking at uh, the, the general population of those that have been able to uh, responsibly work remotely, uh, social distance responsibly, and really kind of maintain their financial standing in a much more uh, stable way compared to um, those who are maybe in the service industry who are, are unable to kind of make that savings. Mm -hmm. Those who have been able to kind of weather the storm are going to be sitting very nicely right now. They are, are just kind of waiting. I think there's the old adage of um, when there's blood in the streets, buy. Um, mm -hmm. So they're waiting for that opportunity. The thing is now that when we're looking at especially existing home sales, there's been such a, a, 
a drawback on inventory. Um, there's a drawback on inventory for new homes. Um, that's not really giving too much alleviation for the prices. So the prices are still very high right now. So not too surprised with these mortgage applications. I think there has been a good deal amount of folks that have been waiting for uh, this time. I think when we look at the last recession, um, we think about uh, uh, millennials at this age right now. They went through the last recession. They were probably in high school something like that. And, and, and they hear recession, all they think about is housing. And that's not the only thing that happens during a recession. So there's probably plenty of folks that are kind of looking to be a first-time homeowner, homeowner, hear recession and expecting homes to kind of come down and this to be a little bit more of a softer uh, housing market. But that's just not the case. I think that's really kind of remained very uh, tight as of late. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, well, there is one point about, uh, I guess, the idea of recession. We think housing. This is something that Kevin brought up. You actually brought forth some delinquency data uh, to me earlier today. I, I wanted to see if you wanted to kind of touch on that because it's kind of some scary numbers. Really. It is. It's very scary. But first, I want, I want to ask Anthony a question because I, I've been hearing this quite fre- frequently that the, the amount of sellers have dropped, but the buyers have remained about stable, which seems a little bit counterintuitive to me a little bit, to, to be out in a pandemic and a, a stalled economy, uh, looking to buy a house, but not looking to, to sell it. Right. Uh, but before things get, do you think that's just an optimistic type of, of tone that, that everyone has, that this is a short-term dip and, and things will be back to normal pretty soon, so there's no reason to sell right now? I think when we're looking at those that have been selling, I think there's a little bit of fear potentially. So um, you might be a little bit more fearful of putting your home on the market and it staying on the market for too long. Um, you might be a little bit more fearful about uh, having um, open houses and uh, potentially having a lot of individuals coming through and and kind of potentially infecting or something like that. So I think there's a lot of fear around um, selling right now, but that 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 same fear doesn't actually um, uh, also kind of impact uh, th- those individuals that are kind of buying the homes. Um, the other thing that we have to look at is that the despair or the the two folks that are usually buying. So I think in the latest um, uh, existing home sales data from the National Association of Realtors, I think it was somewhere in the mid thirties um, that showed that these were first time home buyers. So um, that's a smaller percentage of usually uh, the first time home buyers. You have to look at the other remaining bulk of them, which might be home investors, those who are doing this as a career um, that, that look to kind of, buy these homes. And so they are looking at this as a great opportunity as well. Um, but uh, I think that's when we're kind of looking at those two different sides, buying and selling. I think the buyer is a, a little bit more optimistic than the sellers right now. Okay. And Andrew brought up a, a point, uh, some data I ran into from apartmentlist.com. And it's some research. And it says here, and just to be uh, just to, to do the bear case on, on all of this, uh, is that 30 percent of of homeowners and renters couldn't afford their June payments, housing payments. And the difference between you, you think maybe homeowners and, and apartment uh, renters, there might be a wide disparity uh, between those, but they're, they're really like a three-point difference. Uh, so it's about the same. You know, if you live in an apartment or you own your own home, it's still about 30% of all of those people either were delinquent totally or only made a partial payment. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the number is, is scary. So, I mean, here's a delinquency rate uh, rise, rose, eight, excuse me, rose 90% in April and then jumped another uh, strong percentage in May. And now it totals to a 20% jump in total of the, peop of the people that own houses in the U.S. Uh, this is the highest level in 20, in, highest level since 2011. Uh, so there's, there's a very high rate of people that are right now in trouble of delinquency and for foreclosure on their house. Go ahead. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and even the, the seventy-five to $100,000 household hink, um, uh, that's about 25% were, are delinquent now uh, from June. And that's very disconcerting numbers. Right one more number for you. that We now have 4.3 million homeowners that have missed scheduled payments this year. That's up from 2 million at the end of March. I mean, Anthony, you're, you know, you're, you're the one that focuses on this market more than, than anyone here. I, what, what do you make of this, man? Are you, are you worried that, uh, yes, the demand for new houses is pretty strong, but we have this kind of bottom hollowing out uh, in the homeowners right now? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely it's going to be back to the existing homes. I think that's where most of the activity is going to really be happening. Um, and I think as when we're looking at the, the the dichotomy of between the two, so as new home sales are kind of skyrocketing, housing starts are are, are skyrocketing for the month. Um, uh, starts are really kind of starting to come back right now. Um, the thing is, that with that tightening, it's going to make these new homes, especially the entry level homes, that much more expensive. Um, compared to existing homes. And so that existing home is going to look a little bit more appetizing. Um, one of the things I, I, I think I, I saw, I said, um, first-time homeowners were around 36%, I believe, of uh, this most recent um, existing homes yep. sales. Uh, NAR is showing that um, individual investors who account for second-time home buyers our cash sales were around 14% of, of the of the remainder of, of that. So um, it's all broken down into like cash sales being 17%. So there's all these kind of individuals that are in, in much different places right now. And so I think we're looking at um, the whole dichotomy of housing is going to be really kind of built around what is going to be uh, the most financially feasible for our current uh, economy. And a lot of that is going to look at existing homes for uh, entry levels. But again, that inventory is kind of being drawn down. And so it's really kind of keeping these home prices at an all-time high. And um, I think really when we're looking at uh, renters, there's just too much instability right now for many individuals to kind of kind of jump ship into a housing market right now. So I guess we'll, we'll wrap up our housing discussion before we get on to our long shorts. Uh, just with the overall question, because I've been reading so much that you know most of the economists and analysts that I that I look at, they are looking to housing as to be a strong point to try to be kind of a floor on this uh, on this lockdown that we've had for the last couple of months. Do you feel the same about that? Do you think housing will continue to be the strong point throughout the end of the year? And if not, are there any headwinds that we haven't mentioned yet that you do see uh, us running into before the end of the year? Uh, definitely, I think if we're looking at the Broad macroeconomy, um, housing, I think, is one of the go-to stalwarts that can be the strong point of the economy. Um, uh, headwinds, of course, we said a potential second wave or any kind of consumer uh, sentiment issues coming come around there. Even, I think, we saw with the latest uh, financial data, or not too long ago, uh, consumer savings rates at all-time high. Um, we're seeing banking data where the banks are kind of flooded with deposits right now. So cash is there. Um, so it doesn't really matter whether or not uh, these consumers have the cash or not, but whether more so if they are feeling confident to spend this cash. And so I think um, if we can't uh, kind of align and make sure that that consumer confidence falls in line with what our expectations are, that could be a headwind. And any kind of potential um, second wave outbreak that could kind of shake uh, financial stabilities or potential uh, sentiments around that. 
I can't argue with that. I do agree. Second wave is, is, seems to be on everybody's mind. It, it is definitely on Airbnb's mind. That's going to be our first long short. We've, we've talked about Airbnb a lot on the show. We have done uh, whether Airbnb would IPO in 2020. I think most of us were long that idea that they would be. That's now on the back burner. They've uh, lost probably, I think I've read something like 30, 35% of their valuation since this has started. Uh, they're now back being valued where they were at the last time they raised money in 2017, which is around $30 billion if anybody's keeping tabs. My, my question you guys is, are, are you guys still, I've, I figured at the time we did this conversation, uh, which was probably October of last year, we asked if you were long or short uh, Airbnb as being a strong company. I think all of us would have said long. Uh, so my question to you guys, are you still long Airbnb? Do you think that, that, they've, that they've structurally changed, that they have to change because of this? Uh, do, you, do you still see them being the, the massive unicorn tech company that, that we believe them are? Kevin, let's uh, start with you, my man. What, what, why do you think they have to change? Well, it's not that they have to change. It's that the their business model seems to have structurally changed. People are now, uh, well, they're traveling less. The, the, and I bring this because Brian Chesky said he believes that the idea of traveling has changed. And I'm not saying it's tr- structurally changed for the worse. They could have structurally changed for the better. Uh, his, his words and his kind of pitch is that people are no longer willing to get on airplanes or get on airports. And it may be some time before this comes back. Well, no longer willing to get on a- airplanes. They're also no longer staying stay in hotels where there's hundreds of other people staying. They're no longer looking to even get into cities to be in, in major metropolitan areas, but he is seeing that people are now willing to to drive a couple hundred miles, spend uh, a night or a weekend at a, a smaller town. Uh, he, he truly believes that there's going to be a redistribution of tourism, uh, that people are going to stop going to so okay. many metropolitan areas and start going to smaller towns, which he thinks benefits Airbnb. So uh, my question to you is, do you mm. think travel has been redistributed? Do you agree with that thesis? Or, or I, I agree with the that thesis that it has been redistributed right now. Okay. You know, how long that trend lasts, I, I'm not really sure. But right now, I agree with that. Much less, you're not taking any international trips. Okay. Much few people are, are, are doing flights. I just looked up the TSA numbers for the last week or so. About 550 to 600,000. So we might lose that long short of fifty percent. Yeah, so it would get to a million. It's about fifty percent of where we. Yeah, we're at twenty-five percent short. Yeah, yeah. So we we might lose that because they're both uh, short. That it'd get up to to fifty percent year over year travel. But I I do think it has redistributed. Now whether that's a benefit for Airbnb or not is an open question because most of their their inventory, as you would say, would be in large cities: New York City, Paris, uh, London, and in those areas. Uh, the, the earning power in the inventory is far more than you can pack into rural areas because there are some some gorgeous places around you know around here and around places, but then there's some some not so gorgeous places around that you don't really want to drive to to do an Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, so I think it I think it really hurts them. So you're going to be you're going to uh, be short. I'm you're, short. You're short. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, so I guess I probably need to re re ask the question, but it's uh, basically the idea. Are you? Uh, do you think that um, travel has been redistributed or will be redistributed to smaller areas? And you know, are you long or short that helping Airbnb uh, in the near future? Definitely. So I, I do think that uh, travel definitely will be redistributed for in the near term. I think uh, in the long term, I think it's kind of kind of fall right back to where it was historically. Um, but I, I do think that's going to disrupt Airbnb somewhat. I think, as Kevin mentioned, we're looking at more rural areas or, or areas that aren't these large metropolitan areas where there's not a strong uh, concentration of uh, inventory. But I do think that um, Airbnb was born out of disruption and change. And so if there is a company that is built around being able to weather the storm, 
I, I would hope that it's some form of a sharing uh, mm -hmm. platform that would be able to kind of weather the storm rather than a, a large uh, infrastructure that has assets like a, a hotel that can't really kind of shift where these hotels are and things like that. So I think Airbnb well built for being able to kind of maneuver and weather the storm, but I think definitely will be impacted in the in the near term here. Yeah. Long. Long. Yeah. Long. So I guess I kind of sit in between you guys. I definitely agree with the fact that they are a young and flexible company. They've, they've been able to, um, to build their business in the last 12 years. This is another point that he made. He said that they've, they've built this business for 12 years and it was gone in a matter of six weeks. Um, I, I personally have a little bit of problem with the way that they run ethically and socially. I think the, the, the business model that they plan for isn't exactly what they've gotten. They've, they get into areas, especially uh, um, diverse suburban areas of, the, of, of different cities, and they kind of jack up rent prices because everybody starts airbnb their houses. I do have a problem with that. I don't know how they solve it. Um, but I do think, again, I agree with you, I think travel has been redistributed a little bit. But I'm back with Anthony. I think everything will be back as soon as there's a, vir uh, as soon as there's a, a vaccine. I'd still much rather go to Paris, France, then Paris, Tennessee, and I don't see myself going there uh, anytime soon. But all right, so, so we got two longs and a short on, on Airbnb uh, moving forward. The next one is Zillow. Uh, this is, again, uh, the, the company in which that is kind of I guess, I don't know what the word would be, democratized or, or made it easier to buy a house online. Transparency. Uh, they're, they're, they're transparency, yes, good, give you a good idea of market prices, and, and it's free, unlike the MLS service or things that real estate agents use. Uh, I mean, we're looking at a hot housing market. We've been talking about it all day. We're looking at home builder sentiment, the biggest one-month jump in history, Kevin. Uh, let's say for the end of the year, are you, are you long or short, um, are you long or short Zillow, gaining market share uh, and, and continuing to be a strong company? I, I, I'm long because, I mean, it's... It, nothing's really changed on the housing market, I, I can see. And they're, they're still a dominant player. As you said, it, it's free, a lot of transparency, a lot of pricing. People are always going to buy and sell real estate, uh, no matter what. So I, I think it's – I'm just long. I'm long. No matter what the housing market does, I, I'm long uh, Zillow. Nice. Tony, what about you, man? Uh, I am also long Zillow, but I, I do think there are a bit, a bit of headwinds for Zillow, um, yeah. only for, for uh, competitors. I mean, you know, you have uh, different other platforms that are able to kind of really break down the, the real estate platform. I think Zillow is doing a good job of being able to differentiate themselves because they offer a really good data platform. They offer a lot of information that's outside of the typical home buyer, home purchaser. They have an enormous platform of just data resources. So I think that could be the differentiating, differentiating part. But um, there is, you know, Redfin, Shria, you know, Realtor, so many other app platforms that could pause competition. You know, I think that's a good point about the data. I love the fact that Zillow releases, you know, whether it be search data on there or their data about uh, average cost, whether it be renting or, or price per square foot for the area. I think all that data is very valuable, and people are going to continue to use it. Uh, I'm, I think I'm going to be short altogether because I, I also really like Redfin. I think there's a lot of competition in this space, uh, but I'm, I'm not short the company of Zillow. I'm not short the the industry that is. I think that the online industry cutting out, and this kind of sucks because my mother's a real estate agent. God bless her. Uh, I, I think anywhere that you can cut out inefficiencies, and I, I think some of their work can be inefficient, I'm, I'm happy for that. Uh, but real estate's the only thing they're not making more of, so they're going to continue buying and, and selling continue. it. And that's you're, alternative you're data. That. Zillow is alternative data than 
it's mainstream. Now. Yeah, I guess that's what I guess that's what it is. It's alternative until it's not. It doesn't doesn't take too long until it translates or transitions exactly right. uh, into that. Uh, but let's go ahead and do some thank yous. Thank you to Carrier Direct for always giving us great data. Diane CEO, uh, you're the bomb. Uh, and what you guys going on at uh, Put That Coffee Down tomorrow? Uh, we have selling a new product. The challenges of selling a new product. Lots of those. Tony, yes. my man, thanks for having you on. Thanks for I having me. We'll see, you, uh, we'll see you next time. This has been episode 34. Uh, we're on a six-day, 23-and-a-half-hour break. We will see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.